The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Okay, today we're going to continue our conversation about the evolution of the content creator ecosystem. Joining us is Benjamin Grubbs, who's the founder of Next10 Ventures, which is a vertically integrated operating fund focused on incubating and accelerating new businesses in the content creator economy. Prior to launching Next10 Ventures, Benjamin held leadership roles in digital content-centric companies like Turner, Google, and YouTube. And in our last episode, Benjamin gave us his overview of the current landscape for content creators. If you missed that episode, it's great. I highly recommend you go back and give it a listen. That said, today we're going to do a deeper dive into the various ways that content businesses are monetizing their efforts. Here's the second part of our interview with Benjamin Grubbs, the founder of Next10 Ventures. Ben, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to have you back. And in our last episode, we covered a lot of ground. We talked about some of the different channels, some of the different variables that content creators need to think about when they're producing their content, and also a little bit about the personal side of being a content creator and the role that it can have in your life. One of the things that we addressed was it can really take a lot of time and a lot of effort consistently for content creators to build their audience. And today I want to talk about why it's worth putting in all of that effort. As a content creator myself, I've built a ton of content and we are still trying to figure out ways to monetize this podcast. So I want you to help me think about different ways that not just podcast advertisers, but content creators of all sizes and all channels are creating their content. Sure. So when we were at eBay and marketing, what I used to think about a lot was because we were advertising across, I think, every single online vehicle possible because we had the budget at the time to actually do so. And what I remember observing a lot was as we did paid search on Google and also on Yahoo, the audience profile that we were kind of getting back from each of those platforms was different. Google might send us higher value buyers than Yahoo would. Or if I was to advertise across like five different portals, the audience makeup could actually be different. So one portal could go send me a lot of buyers that actually would want to buy fashion and beauty product. And so over time, it was like, well, I probably shouldn't have the exact same kind of marketing message 
going out across all these different sites, I should start to learn what is it about the Google search engine in this country and their users and how they're kind of responding and resonating with eBay and the company that I'm actually marketing. And then I think about as a creator, there's also this side of, well, as I produce content and I might upload something to YouTube, I could upload something to Instagram, I could upload something to Twitter or to Twitch. And there might be actually the same person who engages with you across all four of those different platforms. But you also might find that there's someone who is a heavy user actually on YouTube and a light user kind of on Instagram, or it could be the flip. So then there's this piece of like, well, just as a marketer may not produce the exact same creative and the type of messaging across all those different media vehicles as a creator, you can start to tweak what you're kind of producing and leaning in as you start to see how your audience differs by platform. So I find that there's parallels there to how a creator kind of adjusts to then I'd say how how a marketer does the same. Yeah, I think that understanding content formatting across multiple different platforms, like you can't just repurpose the same content and put it in different platforms and think you're going to have great results, right? It has to be platform appropriate. Give me a lay of the land of the various ways that content creators monetize their content. On a platform like YouTube, the first way is AdSense revenue share. So as you produce content, upload that to the platform, you'll have ads run against your video. You get a majority share of that ad revenue going to you. The second piece is through direct deals with brands. So that can come from product placement deals, brand endorsement deals, creative fees to go produce bespoke content for your channel. And generally or historically, how it's kind of been on YouTube is any of that money that you're commissioning directly from the brand, you keep all of it. Then there's also ways to monetize what you're doing actually directly with the audience. So YouTube's been rolling out a lot of different products and features to better enable that. And so if you're producing live stream content, you have an engaging audience and you actually have people that are commenting a lot actually in the chat. There's a feature called Super Chat where a fan actually will pay money to boost their post to actually make sure that you as a creator actually see that. Or there's memberships, so you can actually have a subset of your community actually pay a monthly fee, and then you're going to give them access to exclusive kind of live streams or premieres of content before anyone else is going to go see it. Or in the chat kind of features, you have badges, emoticons, and things like this. So Again, there's the general kind of advertising that comes from the platform itself. There's direct kind of monetization from the companies and the marketers. But then there's also direct fees coming from the audience itself. One of the things that I've said a few different times in our monthly recaps for this episode is that there's three ways we're thinking about monetizing this content asset, which is first and foremost, advertising, right? The second is building out referral relationships. And then the third is trying to do lead generation for professional services. And so it seems that what I've been saying maps back to the various channels that you're talking about, which is advertising, going out and finding brands, and then trying to find a way to monetize your existing audience. So let's talk about each of those various ways of monetization one at a time. Let's start off with the in-product advertising integration. So for example, with YouTube, you know, you're getting your, your AdSense revenue. What level of scale do content creators need to reach before they get to a meaningful amount of that integrated advertising revenue? It depends on what the goals and expectations are. I think for folks who are actually trying to make a living through producing content and uploading that to YouTube and actually might be employing some people. So you might have some staff helping you with editing or with production. 
So you're going to have some overhead to kind of cover. You generally, I think, need to be producing content that can generate millions of views to actually have some meaningful revenue kind of coming back to you. So if you're producing content that's getting kind of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of views on like a monthly basis, I think that's more of a part-time kind of aspect. I think you generally do producing content that actually has millions of views a month to actually have kind of meaningful AdSense revenue coming back to you. So what I'm hearing is when you're in the thousands of views per month, you're basically looking at something that is a hobby. When you're in the hundreds of thousands of views per month, you're creeping into a part-time revenue stream. And when you get into the millions of views on a monthly basis for a piece of content, then you're really getting into the point where you have a business that can be sustained on advertising. Well, I think you could have a business that you could have some meaningful revenue coming in through AdSense. I think the sustaining piece is going to vary kind of creator to creator on just like what their cost structure is. So I think depending on where the person is based and what their cost of living is, or to what I was saying before, are you doing this by yourself or do you actually have a team? Do you have some overhead? Do you actually need to cover that? So I think that's where with the brand sponsorship or kind of product placement and that kind of integration, that revenue is, I think, far more significant than the AdSense money. But AdSense is coming to you kind of every single day. And on the other side, it's like, how many deals are you going to be commissioning or signing with brands directly? And so is this once a month that you're actually kind of doing that kind of revenue stream, whereas you have AdSense actually every single day? So the main thing I would kind of say is, don't really depend on only one revenue stream. I would be thinking about multiple ways to kind of monetize actually what you're doing, whether that's through the platform, whether that's directly with brands, or whether that's actually kind of having some monetization directly from consumers as you are kind of building and growing a community on the platform. Just to do the back of the envelope math, I'm just thinking about when you're saying if you get millions of views of a YouTube clip in a month, how does that monetize? What's the average CPM for a YouTube video that is getting millions of views? It also varies, but I think if your audience is predominantly in the US market, you're producing content that is brand safe. It's, I would say, it's content that should have no issue with any like CPG advertiser, any family kind of marketer. You're not making content that's only adhering to like alcohol brands and people over the age of 18. So if it's a broad kind of category, I would say if you're generating like 5 million views a month from an AdSense standpoint, you might be looking at roughly around like 10,000 US dollars a month in AdSense revenue. So that's closer to like a $5 CPM. It's below $10 in terms of thinking about monetization from AdSense at scale. There's a lot of variants that go into this. Sure. So one is the markets that you're serving, where your audience is actually coming from. The second piece is like what the demand is for your type of content in the category that you're producing. So what the advertising demand is for that. Then it also goes down to what your fill rate is. In different markets, the fill rate is going to be different. And in different categories, it's also going to vary. But if you generate 100 views, it's the fill rate is basically what percent of those views actually have an ad served against them. Then the other piece is the advertising format itself. So is it the video advertising that's a pre-roll, so through the TrueView, or is this display advertising? And the CPMs vary quite a lot. I think for some of the pre-roll video advertising, brands in the U.S. market could be paying you know, over $20 on a CPM basis. 
but then you might not actually have a lot of the inventory being filled or served, but you might have a larger kind of volume on the text overlay display advertising and some of the CPMs for that could be under a dollar. So your blended CPM across all formats could end up being in that $5 range. But it's just to kind of point out, I think with the pre-roll video advertising, the CPM rates for that are far higher. I understand that there's a range and that's a great call out. And there's obviously different formats and every content creator's content is going to monetize differently using Google's advertising platform, using AdSense. I think that for the content creators that are out there, when they're thinking about what level of scale do I need to achieve to make significant money, for me, what I'm hearing is when you get into the million views per month and you're making $10,000 a month, when you achieve scale, you're looking at $100,000 of revenue per year. So that's the carrot that's in front of you from an advertising perspective. And obviously, we're using big, broad, round numbers. And I'm sure that there's a range and that some people are making millions of dollars off of videos and some people are making nothing. But just general thinking what the expectation is when you get to scale is that you can make 100 grand per year if you're getting millions of views per month. That's the basic math that we're getting to. Does that sound fair? Yes. So I'd say like on an annual basis, you should be kind of generating around 50 million views over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. That is a broad range. And as you said, it's going to vary. There are folks who might be generating that number of views, but based on the markets that their audience is actually coming from, based on the content that they're producing and how there is or isn't demand from advertisers looking to advertise against that type of content in the category, in that market, there could be a lot of fluctuation. So you could see much less than that, but you can also see potentially more than that. But that just as a starter to kind of benchmark, and I think if you're under that amount, then I would start to look at, again, what your audience makeup is, the type of content that you're kind of producing, how that is or is not kind of conducive for a broad base of advertisers. I mean, there's folks that produce content on YouTube, have a lot of profanity in their content that doesn't monetize too well because there's a lot of brands who opt out of profanity on the platform. Or there's folks that produce content that's you know, generally acceptable to people over the age of 18. So then again, you could strip out a lot of brands that may or may not kind of want to advertise against that type of content. Right. Let's move on to our next path to monetization. You mentioned that there's ways to work directly with brands. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. (laughs) 
A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. What are some of the ways that you see content creators finding brands that are interested in them and how do those relationships work? So there's a lot of marketplaces that are connecting brands with creators. YouTube acquired one called Famebit is integrated that business actually into the company. So creators can actually sign up and create a profile on Famebit. Then on the other side, you have the Google sales team funneling advertisers actually to that platform to upload briefs. So the brand's going to go state what their campaign is, what their objectives are, what they're actually looking for. And then creators can kind of respond to that, saying that they actually produce content that kind of adheres or kind of meet that brief and that objective. So Famebit's one option. There's a lot of other marketplaces in the market that are doing similar things, but also for other platforms too. Like there's some marketplaces that are just focused on the Instagram platform and then connecting creators actually on Instagram with brands. There's other folks that have managers and talent agents that are actually also proactively looking for commercial deals for their clients. But I also just know anecdotally creators that actually start to have like 100,000 plus subscribers on the platform can also start to get some inbound contact on YouTube actually coming from agencies or brands themselves. So there is inbound, but then there's also, if you're looking to be proactive, there are platforms where you can actually go create accounts and create profiles and there's matching that goes on. Interesting. Outside of YouTube for other content channels, let's say, I don't know, podcasters, for example, how do you recommend that they find advertisers if the platform or the medium isn't as developed as YouTube? With podcasters, and then I see this also on YouTube again, but also elsewhere, but you have the different categories of advertisers. So you have direct response advertisers, then you have brand advertisers that have brand objectives actually for, for their campaign. So I think one is just actually observing who's active actually in the space. And so if you can also want to be proactive, it's seeing that, okay, there's companies like ZipRecruiter that I hear quite a lot actually advertising on podcasts. So if I'm actually producing a podcast, it might be a company, I would just reach out to them instead of waiting for them to kind of contact me and actually let them know about what I do, the audience makeup I have and how that actually might align with what their goals and objectives are for actually getting new people to sign up to their service. And then I think there's also marketplaces that are not just kind of focused on YouTube, as I said, but also do connect creators and brands on different platforms. Okay. The third method of monetization that you mentioned was monetizing your audience. And there's a couple different ways that you talked about, which were related to live streaming. Can you give us some tips on how content creators are monetizing their audience without being overly salesy? Sure. So the first piece is just through some of the features and tools. And so if you're producing live content, you could have an engaging audience and they're engaging you through the comments actually in the live chat stream. So on YouTube, there's the product feature Super Chat, which enables someone to boost their posts. So I think the first thing is, is actually to produce compelling content and have an engaging community. And then the product feature, then there's a great user benefit. And there's also a commercial benefit to the creator. So it's not that the creator actually needs to be hard selling someone to be using the super chat, super chat feature. Again, I think it's been set up really to think about the user benefit first and foremost. 
It sounds like a lot of what you're talking about with these features, to me, it's how I think that Twitch monetizes. Like the live chat where somebody is trying to get in front of the broadcaster in real time or the subscriptions to see the premium content or different types of access. That to me is what I think Twitch did a great job. I'm sure that YouTube has done similar things as well, but the tools that you mentioned, the first place my head goes to was Twitch. Yep. They have done a great job. And so for creators who are actually active on Twitch and have a very vibrant community, their feature set, it's a great way to engage with the person who you're watching. What I've also observed over time though, is There are folks who produce live content that's like a radio call-in show. So the same way you would call into the radio station, you want to make sure that your call gets answered. I think with some of these live platforms and having features like Super Chat that enable you to get your question float to the top so the person who's actually hosting that session will actually see it and respond to it, it works well. So when I was observing this several years ago, actually as that feature was coming live, and seeing actually who was using that well, who was actually generating quite a lot of money. What I did notice was that there were folks who actually had that type of call-in show type format, and they were just doing that live on YouTube. Let's talk about the level of scales content creator need to get to to begin monetizing. I know that when we talked about advertising, we said that sort of the side hustle money comes in around 100,000 views per month, and the real money comes in when you're in the millions. With other channels, are you seeing the same level of scale, or how does that change? What I've seen on the direct-to-consumer monetization, so there's the platform monetization. We are just talking about some of the features, things like Super Chat. But then there's also just e-commerce and merchandising. So the first thing overall is how you're kind of crafting your brand and shaping your community and how you engage that audience base in that community. That is like a precursor to any kind of direct-to-consumer monetization. If you have that engaging community, Some of the platform features like what YouTube has, what Twitch has are fantastic for that direct-to-consumer kind of engagement. I think the other side is like when you're actually shaping a brand and you have a great community, that also lends itself well into things like merchandise. And so you have companies like Teespring and Spreadshirt. There's been a lot of adoption actually into the print-on-demand and the apparel space. So what you're seeing there is creators kind of testing out and seeing what their conversion actually might kind of look like from that audience engagement. What I also just know anecdotally is where you might need to get a high scale on a subscriber base or kind of views per month to make AdSense somewhat meaningful. You can be monetizing far earlier actually on a consumer products kind of merchandise basis. So that creators who actually make pretty meaningful money on that kind of revenue stream, you can be selling you know shirts and sweaters and different things for $20, $40, $50. You have a net basis after you kind of take out some of the costs, but You don't have to have millions of people actually kind of buying your product. You could have a subset of that and that money kind of compared to what you'd be kind of driving from like an AdSense perspective could stack up quite well, could actually outweigh what you'd actually be making on that advertising basis. Okay. Let's turn the page a little bit. I want to talk about Next 10 Ventures and some of the people that you're interested in reaching. Tell me a little bit about the type of content creators that you're looking to reach and what are the relationships you're building at Next 10 Ventures? Sure. So we're looking at both the incubation and also on the acceleration front. So on the first side, what we're thinking about is where we could play a role in supporting creators financially to give them the flexibility or the freedom to kind of focus on content production in categories and also in markets where we feel there is an undersupply. So the first broad area that we're actually kind of looking at is education and learning. That's one focus area. 
On the acceleration side, that is more to do with creators that are pretty well established on the platform. It's likely been active for five to 10 years and already have a community that's millions of subscribers. And they're thinking about actually how to accelerate or extend what they've already kind of built over that time frame and really kind of take it to the next level. So the areas that we're starting to kind of focus on, the categories are around kids and family, health and well-being. Well, we've seen a lot of interesting opportunities in fashion and beauty, in sport, also in gaming and music. There's a lot of different opportunities in front of us, but in terms of where we're focusing, it's in the kids and family, health and well-being, and education and learning. Okay, great. Last question I have for you, and we ask the same question to everybody who comes onto the show. What advice do you have for someone that's new into marketing, that's interested in becoming a content creator or getting into your business? What's been pretty fascinating for me and just spending the time that I actually did at YouTube, but I would say even going earlier in my career kind of at, at eBay, it was just seeing how individuals were creating brands and creating communities on these global digital platforms. You know, saw that first on the eBay folks creating stores and selling products and creating a community and a lot of repeat buyers. And I think with then YouTube, it's content creators who were producing content, creating a community, and you have repeat viewers. And I think there's something just on the folks who are doing this natively and who are not paying their way onto the platform. On YouTube, the vast majority of all the successful creator channels do not spend a dollar on advertising. All of their growth has actually been organic. So they're, I think, really thinking about shaping a community. And on a platform like YouTube, there's a lot around like personality and how the audience is responding to the creator and their own personality and wanting to follow that. And so I think as like a marketer, as I'm kind of helping to have a company go build its brand and then thinking about like a platform like YouTube, it's, it's really to think like to get into the mind of a creator and to think about organic growth before thinking about if you have the budget, it's easy to kind of get into paid marketing and some of the paid channels. I would say kind of before that is really think about how you can actually establish some foundation and a footing kind of on the platform in an organic manner to operate kind of as a creator, because it's actually, I think it's been proven over the last decade. Those are the very successful kind of channels on the platform. And as a marketer, you look at some of the top channels on the platform and just spend time kind of watching the content, kind of seeing how they start, how they finish, what they put like in their video description, how they use meta tags. So it's seeing these creators as marketers. And I think there's a lot of insight to gain just from that versus studying what Procter & Gamble or Unilever kind of does on YouTube. But I'd say it's like what Phil DeFranco does, get a daily audience of a million and a half people tuning into his show. And how does he engage and retain from that aspect? And so he might not think of himself as a marketer, but he's effectively doing marketing kind of on the platform. You definitely have to do your homework to understand not only about the platform and how you can use it, but also what are other people doing to be successful? And I think you bring up a great point that's related to content businesses, which is similar to something that actually non-content businesses center on, which is it's easier to sell your existing customers than to find new ones. And as a content creator, producing content for people that are already interested in your show and understanding them is always a valuable lesson. It's one of the reasons why I end each one of these shows with focus on keeping your customers happy. It's a great lesson for marketers, and I think it's really great advice. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. 
Thanks to Benjamin Grubbs from Next 10 Ventures for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Benjamin and Next 10 Ventures, you can click on the link to his bio in our show notes, or you can go to his website, which is next10ventures.com. That's N-E-X-T-1-0 ventures.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. If you have questions, comments, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, feel free to click the contact us link in our show notes or reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Our company handle is Ben J. Shap LLC, and my personal handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got some great episodes lined up for the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back with you next week. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, as Benjamin suggested, my advice is to focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.